Praise God. Come on, North Central. How you guys doing? You guys doing all right? Awesome. Up in the balcony on the lower level. Hey, I just want to say this. I, I really believe that God is, he calls for us to be a great steward. So he is the ultimate steward. And so by simply placing us in the times that we live in, you've got to understand that God is always about the solution. Your, your presence here is part of the solution. When there was a bad water source in a city that was poisoning the city, uh, Elisha the prophet was told to throw salt in the source. You are the salt that God is throwing in the source. Minneapolis has gotten a lot of acclaim uh, over the years. I remember before I was saved, it was about the purple rain and Prince. But come on, somebody, we're talking about the latter rain and Jesus, right? But obviously in recent era, uh, obviously a lot of the civil unrest that has taken place here. But uh, we're, we believe that you're salt in the city. Come on, that's what you guys are. I'm going to dive in this for the sake of time. Uh, my name is Sean, which that was established already. And I've got a beautiful wife over here, Krista. And we reside in the Northern California, San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. Shout out from California to you guys. So grateful for my great friends, Jeff and Jeff. They are amazing. And Pastor Scott and Karen, love, love, love them. You guys got great leadership. You know, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a college campus, I met Jesus. When I say I met Jesus, I've been here in chapel before to tell you one night after clubbing, I called on Jesus. He showed up in my room. I saw Jesus like I saw you. The thing about having an encounter with God is that when you encounter God, and this is, this is actually my concern. I feel like there's so many people that are coming to church that have never had an encounter with Jesus. And right now, encounterless Christianity is being exposed for what it is. It's a cheap knockoff version of the holy original, but you can't have a knockoff version when the enemy's coming to knock you out. So, I met Jesus. Now, when I say that again, I saw Jesus physically. He spoke to me audibly. This happened one night. I didn't come to tell you that part. Three days later, somebody say three days later. Three days later, I'm in my dorm room. I'm asleep. I'm just minding my own business, right? In the middle of the night, all of a sudden, I feel something very hellish fill my room. Total contrast to 72 hours earlier when heaven filled my room, I saw this glorious one that John in Revelation says his eyes were like lightning, his face was like the sun shining. I mean, people say, what did Jesus look like? I'm like the human torch on the Fantastic Four to the MCU folks, right? I mean, it was awesome. But 72 hours later, I feel something pin me on my bed in my dorm room. It's choking me. I cannot breathe. I cannot speak. I cannot move. I cannot talk. I, I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. You'd be surprised as to who's sitting next to you that has woken up in the middle of the night, unable to move. In the midst of this, I had a couple of thoughts go through my mind. First thought that actually went through my mind at that point is what a contrast between 72 hours earlier, heaven filling my room, and now 72 hours later, hell filling my room. My immediate thought was this, and this is where I want to just for a moment let this settle. It was an introduction to spiritual warfare. It was an understanding that the unseen realm and the invisible war. I, I came here to remind you, you and I are in a spiritual battle. Sometimes we can just kind of go through life and we go, wait a second. That's the reason why I've been spiritually fatigued. That's the reason why I've been stressed out. That's the reason why I'm not sleeping at night. That's the reason why I'm beginning to question everything I believe in the whole deconstruction. Is that you got a 
battle going on around you, spiritual warfare, and he comes at you and tries to hit you with depression, loneliness, and all those things. And it's not just natural things that require natural causes. It's a spiritual battle that requires a spiritual solution. Amen. Preach that, Sean. Okay, I think I will. Now, second thought. Let me tell you the second thought. My second thought was this, right? Well, I actually had three thoughts. My second thought is somehow I ought to get Jesus in the room because whoever was in my room three days earlier, I can get him in my room now. It's going to be all right. So I immediately, I remember I couldn't talk, so I began to think Jesus, right? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being very specific, very real. The more I began to think Jesus, the more my lips got loose. I was able to whisper the name of Jesus. I'll tell you the rest of that story, but let me tell you my third thought. My third thought was this. What is it? that God is going to do in my life that 72 hours after I'm saved, the devil's already trying to kill me. What is it? Jonathan Edwards, right? The guy that simply, I believe his message launched the first great awakening. And he said, and I love the way he says it. He says, often when heaven is revived, excuse me, often when church is revived, so too is the devil. That whenever God is coming to awaken his people, the enemy who is not omniscient, but he's been around long enough to read the signs, to understand the early warning indicators of the Doppler radar effect of the Spirit. And he can begin to sense areas and regions and people that are becoming ripe for an awakening. So many people think that the church took a step back during quarantine and COVID. But can I submit something to you? I believe we're closer to a third great awakening now than we were a year ago or 2019 because the Lord has shook off this Laodicean dust and he has awakened us to the fact that we got to plug into God. We got to walk with God because these are times that are intense battle. So in that moment, I go, God, you must, you obviously want to do something in my life. Call in the name of Jesus. Literally the power of God broke, shot out of my room. Another quick story. So now fast forward that about a year. A year later, I'm a student in this campus ministry. He's actually Kyle for part of the Home Missions Department, the Assemblies of God. I'm in this campus ministry, and my campus pastor, a guy, Donnie Moore, he says, hey, man, you have evangelism on you. And I go, what? I didn't even know what that was, right? But I'm like, okay, I, you're, my, you're my mentor. I'll take your word for it. He says, I want to make you in charge of evangelism for our campus ministry. So as he did that, I went into a particular dorm. As I go into this dorm to witness, and I was claiming this dorm for Jesus, and it was one of the more ungodly dorms, I end up ending a particular time where I'm witnessing to one girl. I end up leading her to the Lord. She gets saved. She gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. She becomes a part of our campus ministry. She goes through our CMIT, which was our campus minister and training, and she's sent off to the Pacific Northwest to plan a campus ministry. How many of you know that was a good witness? But the other dude is who I came to talk to you about. The other dude is dressed in all black. Now, I'm dressed in all black, so there's nothing wrong with that. But there was something extra. Somebody say extra. Some extra on this guy. He says, come with me. First, he says, my name is, and he says, I'm a Satanist. He said, come with me. First, only last time I ever followed a Satanist, and it was just to his room. We go to his room. His room is blacked out, y'all, totally blacked out. He has all kind of satanic paraphernalia and stuff going on. The word got to us. Literally, that he had a roommate, and, and, and this demonic dude has some sort of seance in the middle of the night. A spirit came into the room, evidently manifested. His roommate got freaked out, ran out in the middle of the night with whatever clothes he could carry, went to the head resident and said, you got to get me up out of here. Come on, somebody say amen. 
I'm in this guy's room. He opens up the door. He says he wants to show me something. He's going to show me the Necromonaton, Anton LaVey Satanic Bible, right? So, <laughs> so he goes to the back of his dorm room. I walk in his room. It's dark, it's dark, right? I told you it's blacked out. When I close his door, I lock his door and put chains on. He had multiple chains on. I don't know why you did that. I put chains on the door. And people said, Sean, weren't you afraid? You're in there with a Satanist, right, that has conjured up spirits that chased his roommate out. Weren't you afraid? And I'm no, no. I'm like, no. He needs to be afraid because I got Jesus in me. And on the third day after I'm saved, when you see Jesus bounce a devil out of your room, you're not afraid that this dude isn't my enemy. He's a captive of the enemy. And I'm going to lock the door because, bro, you ain't getting out here until we get that devil out of you. That's what I'm thinking. So I lock these doors, right? We do this whole thing, and we're in this dark room, and people say, weren't you afraid? Because in a moment, I want to open up Acts chapter 19, and Apostle Paul goes to a dark city by the name of Ephesus. But how many of you know that Paul understood something you must understand in the times, in the place, in the season God has you, and I have to understand this as well, is that we cannot be intimidated by the darkness. We were called to this darkness. Ephesus was not the place that you would have your easy church plant. It was not going to be a cush place. Like once you get there and you understand what's going on, they have the, one of the seven wonders of the known world. They have a temple to Diana, or some of them called them Artemis. She, Diana, like Wonder Woman, but like a whole other level. This, this demonic entity was basically the goddess of fertility, but really the goddess of sexual perversion, heightened sexual. Literally, scholars tell us, that the statue and the shrine of her, and, and they had what was called the letters of Ephesus, which were emblazoned kind of enchanting like curses and things that you recanted or, or, or chanted to somehow bring demonic spirits. It was literally on her statue as well as her statue was so explicit that in that day they said it was a one look wreck you for life statue. That's my paraphrase of it says that people would see the statue and be depraved in mind and deprived in character. Seven wonders. Literally, it was also a place, this particular shrine, that if you were an outlaw, if you could get on the property, you had amnesty. So it attracted sexual perversion. It attracted violence. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to put down Minneapolis. I'm talking about America right now. Sexual perversion, violence. There was mob rioting going on in the streets. And in the midst of this, Paul, listen to me, was not okay to leave the city in darkness. I wasn't okay to walk into a dark room of a Satanist and leave him in darkness, right? I, I listen to people to go, man, I need to leave my job. There's too many lost people here. Or I go to this thing and this, and I'm like, you may be more lost than the people there that don't know Jesus if you're trying to get away from darkness because you are called to be light. Come on, somebody. You are light. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, this light was made for darkness. Come on, just tell somebody, this light was made for darkness. Paul is there, and as he's there, he would later describe, because he would write uh, literally the book of Corinthians while he, 1 Corinthians, while he was in Ephesus, and he said in 1 Corinthians, I have fought with the wild beast at Ephesus. And then I looked up this word because I thought, man, did the dude go out and fight like wild animals or something like that? And it's interesting because the word there literally is used to describe spiritual monsters. What Paul is saying is he went to Ephesus, it wasn't just a normal stroll in the park spiritual warfare. 
spiritual monsters manifested. Obviously, people probably that were demonically possessed, and we'll, we'll hit a kind of a thought on that in just a moment. But there was such a spiritual resistance. It was tangible. He says, I fought with the beast at Ephesus. Hold that thought. I'm flying from DFW. I'm flying back to San Francisco one day. Little did I know, two rows in front of me was a guy that it literally grew up blocks from me, but were separated by some years. He played professional football. He retired. I got off the plane, recently retired. Got off the plane, and I go, oh, my God, that's Marshawn Lynch running back for the Seattle Seahawks, but more recently for the Oakland Raiders and retired before they moved to Las Vegas. Any guy here, any gal here that understands football, you understand his nickname. Marshawn's Lynch nickname is what? Beast Mode. And I felt the Lord begin to speak to me. Often messages and thoughts and things that God deals with me is things that he'll cause to pass right before my eyes. And the Lord says that I'm calling the church to go into beast mode because when you fight with the beast, you got to go in beast mode. Now, let me, let me explain this to you because I want to break this down because I'm talking to you about going beast mode. And the only way I can say it is when the enemy flexes, God is calling his people into a new fierceness. Whenever the enemy, come on, if you don't get anything from this, get this. When the enemy flexes, God is calling his people to a new level of spiritual fierceness. You want scripture? When the kingdom of God suffers violence, what? The violent take it by force. When the enemy flexes, it's a call, it's a call upon your fierceness. That we don't acquiesce. We don't back up, back down, back away. We come from a spiritual legacy of people that poured their blood, torn between chariots, that they would not deny Jesus. And under Nero and under any other godless, at that time, dictator or king or monarch, they rose and they flourished because when the enemy went and fought and brought spiritual beasts, they went beast mode. Now let me describe beast mode. Most of you would know it. But beast mode, if you go to the Urban Dictionary, come on, shout out to the Urban Dictionary. It is a mode you switch into when doing hardcore activities or an attitude turned on in a really competitive state of mind. And it says in the Urban Dictionary, or more simply, to go crazy like Marshawn Lynch. But I'm an entomology dude, so I wanted to know the entomology. That, means, that would be kind of the origin of that particular a word and the origin of the particular word is it alludes here's the origin entomology it alludes to a dynamic in a video game in which your character powers up into a stronger superhuman form that allows them to fight against a particular nemesis the lord is calling you to go beast mode when you face beasts you got to go beast mode you can't be caught in safe mode when the enemy has gone beast on you right now, here is this thing, because Ephesus is a key city. It is the capital of Asia Minor. It is a Roman place. It is considered the religious center of the known world, obviously demonic. And in Acts 19, we have this chapter where, number one, there was a group of disciples that Paul soon began to recognize, and scholars debate as to how he would recognize, but somehow he could tell, I don't know if you have the real authentic connection. And so he asked him, have you received the Holy Spirit? And it ended up with them receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because if you're at a place where the enemy's going beast on you, you better be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and power, right? That's why you're raised up. In Africa, many of the churches that flourish are Pentecostal churches because by admission, those churches flourish in breaking down satanic strongholds and witchcraft spells. 
Come on, somebody. We don't have to be in Africa, although I love my dear African brothers, but we don't have to be in Africa to understand. We must rediscover our Pentecostal Holy Ghost roots right now. Now is not the time to back off of tongues, back off the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You got to start your facing the beast with getting filled again. And maybe this is what this is all about. God is saying, you need to cry out for a fresh outpouring. Are you still with me? Because I got about seven minutes and I got to go, all right? You guys are with me or so. Then the next thing that's so key, right, this is so key, is that Apostle Paul is playing. You got M95 mass, right? Imagine Apostle Paul praying for them and somebody taking your N95 mask or whatever it is and taking it to a person that's demon-possessed, like full-blown manifest, and they scream the devil comes out of them. Somebody's sick with cancer, put it on their healed. But you contrast that with seven sons of a Jewish priest, we're just going to take the Bible at face value. He evidently had a measure of success in casting out devils, Jewish priests. These seven sons think because dad did it, we could do it. And all of a sudden, they go on a demon-possessed guy because if you're there by the seven wonder of the world, you got Diana on you and all that kind of demonic stuff and people coming to your town just exhibiting all kind of sinful behavior and just manifesting the demonic, you would probably get filled. So a demon-possessed guy... Seven on one, seven guys try to catch the devil out of one dude. One dude beats them all up, throws them out of every available window, takes his Michael Jordan J's, come on, all of them, takes all their clothes. Bible says they run down the street naked. What is that about? That's about exposure. Spiritual warfare exposes you. If you're going to go beast mode quickly, here's three quick things, and I close with these three quick things you must do. If you're going to go beast mode, number one, you must stay attached to truth and not be intimidated by darkness. Because why? You can't go beast mode till you make the word of God your default mode. If the word of God is not your default mode, you can't go beast mode. You know, you tear, say, hey, here's what the Bible says. And they go, well, I'm of the opinion. Whoa, whoa, stop right there. How, how can you have an opinion contrary to the word of God? Are you a follower of Christ? This is the book of God's perspective. There's such a war over truth right now. Let me tell you what, don't ever let this become a textbook. Don't ever let this become something you have to study to write out a paper. This is the manual of life. This is the words breathed of God. This is the perspective of heaven in the midst of a dark place of confusion. You be, hey, you better grab onto your sword, somebody, if you're going to fight this battle. Jesus defeated the devil by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. He didn't say it is of my opinion. He didn't say it's trending on Twitter. He didn't say this got the most likes on IG, come on, or TikTok, come on, somebody. He said it is written. Whatever can keep you from this will keep you from your destiny. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to preach, y'all. <laughs> I'm here to tell you this, man. Truth isn't found in your opinion. Truth is found in the word of God. You got to get back to this. And Paul demonstrated that. He stuck to truth when he preached in the church there. That would be the synagogue. Then he took it to the streets, right? He took it to a school of Tyrannus, which really the root word is tyrant. And some of the scholars say it wasn't really a school. It was a place where they would debate, actually intellectually pound you. And anyone that would preach the gospel there would. So Paul stayed attached to truth in the midst of a place where it was politically incorrect. Hello, somebody. You would not have the great Ephesus church that is literally still in revelation, going strong. Paul goes and starts as one person, and he probably had one other companion with him. He leaves with a mighty church that he would write a letter to that was still around in Ephesus. Number one, you got to stay attached to truth. Number two, you can't hide behind labels and titles. 
You go to, to NCU, awesome. Praise God. You, you feel a call that you're going to go, and I know there are various, uh, varied uh, uh, different people that have different disciplines and different callings, but you are all marked and called by God for a purpose. So here's what I need to tell you. You can't hide behind titles. You can't hide behind, I go to this church, or my dad was this, or my mom was this. You can't hide. You must be authentically connected because the warfare we're facing exposes the posers. And that's what happened to these seven sons of Sceva. They're trying to cast out a devil, and it's like, hey, we know Paul. We know. By, by the way, he said, the seven sons of Sceva cast out a devil. In the name of the guy Paul preaches about, oh, yeah, Jesus, come on. When you got to go to two people to get to Jesus, you just take off your clothes, jump out the window, because it's about to happen right now. You're going to get your stuff. It is the word exposed. And tragically, tragically, and you guys could begin to play. Tragically, I grew up playing sports, man. Whenever an athlete went down hurt, man, and my go-to-state warriors are getting hurt by the moment. Lord bless my go-to-state warriors, right? You, as a teammate, you feel that. And I've seen some great men of God fall. I've seen some a particular hero of mine, a hero in the era of ap apologetics, and just another guy that I've done conferences with, and Jeff and I, we were just talking about this gentleman, find out he had multiple affairs and had to step down and step away. And what it's telling me is this, I don't delight in that. No, my heart breaks over that. But it's letting me know that you got to be authentically connected. You can't just go on the fact that you're a North Central student. You can't just go on the fact that, man, you're a ministry major or that back in the day you were in an awesome youth group you came out of. Come on. That's not enough. you got to have an authentic. Right now, this is a time where, like, life is kicking the tires of your faith and checking the quality of where you're at. Third and final of all, and we close. I love this. The Bible closes that chapter and says it was a, I would call it, now, no one try to send me some sort of email of a theological rant on me. Just hear what I'm saying on this. It was the revival that held cause. Let me explain. It was really the contrast of Apostle Paul's handkerchiefs succeeding in spiritual battle and the inability of seven guys who were not connected to this Jesus to handle the demonic warfare they're faced. And in the contrast of these two things, hell overplayed its hand by manifesting that strong. And all of a sudden, the people, all these do, people had their demonic Ouija boards. Come on, they had a horoscope. Come on, horoscope? Hello, just horror. That ought to be enough, right? <laughs> and man, they're bringing all their demonic paraphernalia. They're bringing their magic eight ball. Come on, they're bringing their old Harry Potter books. Come on, they're just bringing it all, taking it to the middle of town. Come on, in Ephesus, where people are traveling from all around to worship Diana and saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, crying out for two straight hours. In that place... People brought uh, conservative equivalent estimates at $5 million of satanic paraphernalia is burned. It's revival. And it says the word of God prevailed mightily because one man stood in the word in the midst of darkness, was not intimidated. He was authentically connected. And third and final point, if you want to see a shift in culture, you must first have a shift in your consecration. Everybody say, I want to be an influencer, Sean. I want to be an Instagram influencer. I want to influence style. I want to influence taste. I want to influence fashion. I want to influence this. I want to influence, you know, things as it relates to laws and politics and policies. And, man, I want to influence the sex trade trafficking. And let me tell you what, that's awesome. But if you don't have a shift in your consecration, you're not going to have a shift in culture. And now I close. Sean, where'd you get that point from? Right? We know Paul held on to truth because he had to go in the midst of the atmosphere of the tyrant. We know that you have to be authentically connected 
because we saw the contrast between Apostle Paul and the seven sons of Sceva. So what is this? You have to have a shift in consecration for a shift in culture. This passage that I'm reading says simply, and many believers came and got right with God in the very next verse, and also the others came and burned their books of magic. So follow me. Believers got right first, then the world got right. When the believers came confessing their deeds, that's what it says. Believers came confessing their deeds. That's the wording. When the believers came confessing their deeds, then the world came and burned their satanic paraphernalia. You can't change and want a metamorphosis out there if you're not willing to go through a change. It takes tra transform people, transform people. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you, God, in the name of Jesus. I just pray, Lord, right now, I just feel like there is an explosion because, God, this has become, in many respects, in many respects, it's become an Ephesus. But I thank you, God, that, Lord, the same spirit that, that literally possessed Apostle Paul possesses us, the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God, that in the midst of wrestling with the beast of Ephesus, that it's a call for us to go beast mode. No more casual Christianity. No more kind of like taking it light. Lord, so many people would be warriors instead of warriors if they got a prayer life. So many people literally could walk in the juice if we could see them at the prayer meeting instead of the, the drinking parties. Lord, we need a Holy Ghost outpouring of the Holy Ghost where people are sanctified, where there's an awakened passion for this one Christ Jesus, the desire of the nations. God, come and burn in us. Lord, burn in us. God, I thank you that your heart weeps over this city. Lord, you have an answer. It's already in place. It's already in place. I believe I stand before it. I know we got minutes. There are at least 10 spots here, but the aisle could be a place. I just feel like you need to respond. If you're facing spiritual warfare, if you're facing a place where you go, you know what? I need to go beast mode. I recognize God is calling on me in this hour to literally come up and begin to say, Lord, I'm going to be ignited for you. I'm not playing games. I'm not saying you are playing games, but there are moments of awakening where you recognize, I don't know what I've been doing, but I know what I got to do now. So there are dots down here, or if you just want to slide to the aisle, you just want to stand up. I want to pray over you as the team closes out and worship. I, I, I do. Come on, some of y'all just need to stand in the aisle like my sister. I just feel like, just, just move. Just slide to an aisle. Some, just, oh, come on, you stand up. Father, in the name of Jesus, all over this place, all over this chapel, I pray for a fire to consume us. Lord, I, I, I say many times it's when hell breaks loose that heaven in us gets reintroduced. Lord, as hell has broke loose, let heaven in us get reintroduced. Lord, let fire fall. Lord, consume us, baptize us with passion. Lord, I know I'm loud, but it isn't about hype. It's about an inward dynamic that says the lamb is worthy of the rewards of his sufferings. Come and burn in us. Come on, team.